What's an M. Night? M. Night Shyamalan, the Indian filmmaker from Philly. Oh my God, this dude's a big deal. He always you know puts some I mean? like awesome twist at the end of his movies to trick the audience. Oh yeah, yeah, like like in The Sixth Sense, you find out that the dude um, in that hairpiece the whole time, that's Bruce Willis the whole movie. That's not the twist. That's not the twist of that movie. That wasn't the twist. No. where we discussed the career of filmmaker M. Night Shyamalan. I'm A.J. Gonzalez. And I'm Brian Connolly. All right. So uh, we do say we discussed the, the career of M. Night Shyamalan. So everything he's done works as writer, director, and only writer, which is the case for today's entry, Stuart Little from 1999. A total shock. I had no idea that he wrote this uh, movie. <laughs> I remember when it came out, and then I instantly forgot about it. And, and I hope Shyamalan is probably uh, thinking the same thing. He's just like, please forget about that I wrote this the same year as The Sixth Sense was made. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He this, didn't write Stuart Little too, so I guess he, he did not. He is. Yeah, yeah. He had moved on. But this has to have been uh, one of those like writing projects he did like while still under contract to Miramax, but he could write for other studios because uh, it, you know, it's a heavily like CGI computer animated movies, and those take uh, years to run. I think on the special features, I saw the animation test dates for like 1998. Oh wow! So yeah. he was probably writing this while he was making his last movie. The, yeah. the one before its success. The, uh, yeah, Wide Awake. Wide Awake. So I'm guessing he was like, Wide Awake for Miramax, and I'm writing the script for them, and it's a way to make money, because that way you can like spend a year working on a six cents or trying to shop that around. Uh, pay, a pay-the-bills project, if you will, Yeah, is what it is. Pay the bills, show people I can write, maybe they'll buy me out of my contract with Miramax, <laughs> which Disney did, <laughs> not... Um, Whoever released this movie, <laughs> uh, I don't remember, and I didn't write it down. All so right. this, I guess, uh, you can think of it as the first of, of a few digressions we will take. No way. It's all one big picture. It's all <laughs> one man's life. You can't, you know, that's why you got to be careful what you do, because you never know. You might be the guy who wrote part of the movie, and then that's just like with <laughs> you for the rest of your life. Uh, but before we start, we must review... Uh, our, first off, we're doing this from a different place. We're doing this from my house, and so that's why it's a little echoey in here. I think I don't know if you can hear that on your end, but like it's a much. Uh, this is, uh, I live in a cave in the woods, we, so, it, uh, so, it it echoes, is, so it echoes a bit. It is in the woods. Uh, that is, it's a vast, <laughs> vast country out here. <laughs> Texas is big, uh, and I hate people, so I want to live as far away. In yeah, the, in the deep dark. Yeah. The dark, county. The county, yeah, and you can have fireworks and be naked at the same time. It <laughs> Uh, so, anyways, <clears throat> I apologize for that. And also, uh, AJ and I, or AJ and I, are both uh, getting over colds or allergies or whatever it is. So, if you hear sniffling, uh, it's because we felt miserable the last week. Sore yes. throat, couldn't sleep. Uh, we're, de- we're we're over it now, and we're ready to entertain you with this. Uh, but before we start, we must review, of course, our monthly scotch. We're gonna keep doing this till some scotch company, you know, gives us free scotch. Yeah. Like, hey. Those three people that listen to your podcast might buy our scotch. Here is a free 
uh, was it? Do you buy scotch by the case? What is what is it? The, uh, uh, case the cask. Cask. Uh, yeah, it's a barrel. Yeah. It's a barrel. So send that hasn't happened yet. So we got to send us some amontillado. <laughs> Ooh. So uh, what? So this week, uh, this month's scotch is called Grants, and I bought it because number one, it was cheap. It was. This is good. a. Uh, Always good. This is like a fourteen dollars scotch, so not the cheapest. There's definitely some lower bottom, below the bottom shelf scotch which we have we haven't dwelled into yet, thankfully. Uh, but this, you know, fourteen dollars, not bad. Grants. It's got a cool kind of triangle shaped bottle. Yes. Which is easy to hold, which is nice. And it's it is a um, established in 1887. Uh, Patiently crafted for a rich, smooth, and complex signature style. Mm -hmm. And let's see if there's any story. The only story is no pregnant women allowed to drink. That's the only story they have. So <laughs> that's all we know about grants. Not for the pregnant. And established in 1887. It's good. It's good. It's uh, I, I guess it's not as uh, strong or bold in flavor. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a weaker... It's, I think it's the weakest scotch that we've had. Probably. Don't you think? I think so. But you know what? I'll still finish this bottle. I don't care. Because yeah. it's still alcohol. It's still alcohol. It's still scotch. It's still yeah. good. It still has all the good, all the good squatch. 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 We're out in the country with the squatches. <laughs> squatches. Have you, I mean, I don't get understand people that are like, I don't drink that alcohol or this alcohol. It's alcohol. Just drink it. Alcohol, like uh, oh, I only drink uh, brown liquor. Oh, I only drink white wine. I don't drink. Come on. Like I, I have found I get more uh, headachey from clear rum than I do from uh, black spiced rum. Yeah. So. But if someone was like, that, "Hey, AJ, here's a free bottle of clear rum," you wouldn't pour it down the sink. No, I would. I would find a way to make it work. Yeah. I would buy lots of Coca Cola. A bunch of tropical punches, because rum is a, a tropical drink, apparently. Uh, some pirates drink yeah. it. So. so maybe Grant to make a good punch. Oh, well, I guess we're not going to get any free uh, scotch from Grants. But that's okay, because it's not that good. But, <laughs> sorry, Grants. Mr. Grant, if you're listening to this podcast, I apologize. Uh, anyways, Stuart Little... Uh, we watched it on DVD, so there wasn't any uh, trailers you had to suffer through at all, uh, right? No. It's the movie to start. This, this one just loaded right up. up, yeah. yeah. Uh, though, uh, and of course, uh, most uh, my uh, aunt and uncle would have been very happy in the 90s about this DVD. Full screen. Oh, full yeah. Full screen DVD. Quite upsetting. So, uh, the original, you know, vision of who's it, whoever directed it. Director Little. Ron uh, Minkoff. Not intact because it was full screen. So it really was like, you know, you only saw a third of the movie. Really. Parents, uh, grandparents, people that haven't seen the TCM produced video, Your Friend, widescreen formatting. Hosted by Martin Scorsese and Curtis Hansen. That's how I learned not to fear the black bars. But, when uh, I was a kid, I was confused because uh, on videotapes, they would only widescreen like the opening credits. So if you rented Cliffhanger, the opening credits would have the black bars, and then they would subtly, slowly, like the bars would move up and go. I remember that happening. And then you'd have the full square 
version of that. I remember movie. that happening with Monster Squad, and the last movie I remember that happening with was The Cable Guy. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Because they're like, we got to fit these words in. That's important, even though you see the words at the end of the movie, of all people. But, you know, the actual, you know, composition of the frame, that's not important. That, you get a fucking square. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, full screen. Maybe they don't make a widescreen, Stuart Little. Or Vulcan Video was just really cheap 20 years ago when they bought the DVD. Yes, <laughs> if, the if, at all possible, if at all possible, Vulcan Video avoids, avoids full screen formatting like the plague. Like, but sometimes it's the only option, so we'll only ever have heavyweights in full screen formatting. Does that not exist in widescreen? No, no, it only the copy. They're like big boys; you need more no, of a screen. The copy I bought is in full screen. Wow. Both of the stores' copies that, like, each time we bought one, it's only in full screen, and people keep stealing it from the stores. So one day we'll get a copy of heavyweights that won't be stolen, but it will be in full screen. I'm sorry. <laughs> We had a manager once that bought uh, like seven copies of the uh, Brian Singer movie, but in full screen. And it was like too late to <clears throat> too late to return it. So then we just had on the we had we had to buy him again, of course, widescreen because nobody wanted that. And then he just had forever the full screen movies for sale on the for sale shelf. And then occasionally someone would buy it and he'd be like, oh boy. And then they'd come back being like, oh, this movie's full screen and no one. He'd be like, oh man. And they were in rotation for quite a, quite a while. Uh, but you know what? It's fitting that it's full screen because this is based on a book. In books, are more square than rectangular. Uh, yeah, children's uh, books especially. Based on a, a novel by uh, E.B. White, the fellow who wrote Charlotte's Web, correct? Yes. Yes. Another uh, talking animal uh, story. Uh, I believe I did this plot description for Six Sense. You did? So you get to do the plot description of Stuart Little. All right. None of my notes are about the actual plot, so uh, let's see what I remember. How long ago did you watch watch Stuart Little? Uh, two or three days ago. That's not a good sign. No. Two <laughs> days ago. All right. Well, All right, do so your best. Begins in a storybook, uh, storybook style New York City. Uh, so it, it's obviously New York, but it's, uh, it seems a bit off. Maybe it's CGI or visual effects. And uh, we meet the, the little family, which lives in a uh, tiny brownstone, well, in a, in a nice-sized brownstone, but between two skyscrapers, kind of like the, uh, like the, the old man's house from Up. And uh, the, the littles are Hugh Laurie, and Gina Davis, and uh, Jonathan Lipnicki as their son. And they're off to the orphanage to uh, adopt another child. And that's, uh, they're at the orphanage. Uh, they're waiting for the, uh, the orphans to come out so they can meet the orphans. But then they meet, like, sitting, standing right between them, uh, this talking mouse named, named Stuart, who's uh, very friendly uh, kind of sagacious, uh, kind of bry. Uh, those jokes don't always land. And uh, they decide to adopt him. And the movie never really brings up, like, a talking mouse? <laughs> it's, uh, it's just people questing it for a second, and then they immediately accept it. So they, they take home Stuart. And Jonathan Nicky is is very uh, uncool 
with this. He, he's, he's, not, he's not into it. Like, that's not my brother. That's a mouse. Uh, the cat, the family cat, Snowbell, uh, voiced by Nathan Lane, uh, immediately doesn't like, like Stuart, of course, because he's a cat. And now he has a mouse that's his owner. That's not cool. So the cat immediately tries to uh, get rid of Stuart, like puts him in the laundry or something. Or no, Stuart accidentally ends up in the laundry in the uh, in the classic washing machine gag. <laughs> you know, he's there floating. It's a side loader, luckily. So they see him in there and take him out. Uh, but Jonathan Litnicki and him, they bond over... Uh, is making a sailboat together, and then there's a uh, a pretty, I guess you know for a kids movie exciting boat race in Central Park. I'm guessing on the big lake. There, there's a little pond where they do boat races, but this was like a really big lake. And there's a mean kid with a motorized boat who's like <laughs> ramming into the other boats, and Stewart's there on the boat because the uh, they drop their remote control, so they can't, Jonathan Licknicki can't control it, so Stuart, he gets in there and he manually pilots the boat and uh, outflanks the bad kid's boat and wins the race. And so him and Jonathan Licknicki are cool. Yeah, that's not the climax of the movie. That's I not the climax of the, the movie. climax of the movie, but it's not. The climax of the movie, you think the story would be about the two of them bonding and, like, accepting each other? Uh, but it's not. So that happens. But then the cat is still not cool with this. And through uh, his his ne'er-do-well cat friend, voiced by Steve Zahn, uh, meets, uh, meets a gangster cat, voiced by Chaz Palminteri, who is very not comfortable in voiceovers. Uh, <laughs> and he uh, sets, uh, he's like, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. We'll, we'll take care of the cat. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll take care of the mouse in, you know, gangster style. And then, uh, some other things happen, like, uh, you know, he's a mouse, oh, what? (laughs) Um, It's kind of weak in the plot. (laughs) It's kind of weak in the plot. It's only 85 minutes. It gets episodic in the middle, but uh, the big, like, where the actual plot uh, comes from is then Stuart's biological parents show up at the little house, and I want to take him back. And uh, they are Bruno Kirby and Jennifer Tilly. And uh, so they want Stuart back, and then Stuart doesn't want to go with them, but then he has to go because it's uh, it's his family, his, his you know, quote-unquote real family. Uh, so he reluctantly goes, and they drive away in a little car down the streets of New York, which seems very dangerous. Uh, but then, uh, we don't know how much, whether this was, you know, I've never read Stuart Little, I don't know what happens in it, I, I've not read any E.B. White that has not been read to me in elementary school, but we find out those aren't really Stuart's parents, which was obvious from the very moment we met them, but it was all part of the plot from the gangster cat to get rid of, of Stuart. That's the twist. That's the, yes. that's the Shyamalan twist. Whether he came up with that or whether it was E.B. White or the other screenwriter, uh, Greg Brooker, who also wrote this movie with Shyamalan or rewrote it or however the situation was. 
But that's the twist. That's it. That's the uh, monthly twist you get. Yeah. His parents aren't really parents. It's part of this ploy for the cats just to get rid of Stuart Little. So get rid of Stuart Little. So Stuart, he uh, he escapes back in the car. The the cats are after him. They're driving around through Central Park uh, in in the ramble, I assume, because it looks pretty wild. He uh, loses the car by driving into like a sewer. The cats are still after him. He's up in trees, and uh, and it looks like he's done for. But then then uh, Snowbell, the Nathan Lane cat, he shows up and and saves Stuart. And then takes Stuart back home to his family, and they're uh, reunited again, and they're a real family, and uh, and that's it. And then until until part two. Until part two. Which I'll never watch. I can't imagine <laughs> I would watch part two. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was kind of surprised in watching the movie. The lack of plot. I really thought. Well, I thought either it was going to be like, oh. <clears throat> I mentioned how there's not like really a plot, there's not really a villain, it's just gonna be like life with this little mouse as a brother. That's cool. But then instead there's like there's a villain sort of in this cat who doesn't like him, but it's not like big enough. It's not like Stephen Tobolowski in the Garfield movie who's like, Oh, I'm gonna get that Garfield. Oh, I hate lasagna. And you're like, Oh, that evil Stephen Tobolowski. So it doesn't like go far enough into having like a, a problem of a villain and it doesn't it's like it's like in this weird middle ground where it just sort of feels like the movie's happening and it's eight, it's like 85 minutes long but it feels so much longer it's uh <laughs> it does yeah. not it does not fly by, it did not fly by to me it's uh, it's an all right it's an all right movie i could see myself enjoying it more if i were a child uh as an adult like it's okay it's okay, everyone. It's it's really stylized like it's a cartoon or storybook. So the adults are uh, everyone's acting in kind of a heightened way that I'm sure they were. That's how they were told yeah. to act, and it just comes off as as, as kind of uh, just kind of unnatural. But it's definitely not as good as the other Nathan Lane Mouse movie, Mouse Hunt. Oh no, like no, an actual masterpiece. Came out around the same time. That was like '98, I think. So that was like yeah. before this. Uh, and you know, honestly, I never read uh, Stuart Little because I was a mouse and a motorcycle fan. And I was like, I like the mouse and motorcycle. Why do I want to read this book about this mouse with a bow tie? He's not on a motorcycle. I don't care. <laughs> so I never read the book. Uh, the heightened reality is is kind of weird because it is it's kind of shocking when you watch the movie that everyone's, <coughs> everyone's fine that he's a mouse. Like that's not an issue where because you really think that's what the movie's going to be about is is like like i i thought going in was gonna be like oh jonathan lipnick he's gonna have this mouse friend and then like he's the one who can hear him talk and nobody else does or everyone's like what is this the mouse brother this is so strange like mice can't talk this is weird and so but like right away the parents are like oh a mouse cool and like your orphanage is like yeah here's this mouse you can adopt and there's never part of like a mouse this is weird like there's always like when they introduce it to the extended family, there's that moment of like, oh, I wasn't expecting a mouse. But they're not weirded out that it's a mouse. It's just they weren't expecting a mouse. But then they're like, oh, okay, I just thought it was going to be a, a person, but it's a mouse. Okay, that's fine. And then they're fine with it. And it's not like they're going to sell Stuart Little to the circus or put him on TV because he talks. And or like, yeah, oh, make him sing, which is what uh, always happens when the animals can talk. They have to go in the show business. 
Alvin and the Chipmunks. Yeah, why can't they just be like mouse plumbers? Yeah. Yeah, just be a mice plumber. That would be entertaining to watch, too. Plumbers. Well, Ratatouille, he's a chef, so that one's the only okay. one where he's not a singer. Yeah, but he can't talk to people. He just he just does it. There's that yeah. one guy who can like kind of tell what the rat is, uh, what Remy the rat is signaling to him. Um, but let me let's be let me be a jerk for a second and just really pick apart this, the problem with this movie. Even though it's like I shouldn't because it's a kids movie and it's fantasy. But if you have if you because I'm a grumpy adult, I'm just gonna throw them out here. If you have this world where the parents are instantly accepting that there's a mouse. There's a mouse that wears clothes. There's a mouse that talks. And everyone treats it as if it's part of the world that they live in. Like, everyone just seems like, oh, that's just part of the world we know. There are mice that talk. Like, there's never a moment where that's questioned. One, then why aren't the other animals like that? Because I don't think they're hearing what the cat's saying. No, like, no. Okay, like, that's... So that's sort of like a Pluto goofy sort of thing of like, why does this animal talk and wear clothes and why does this one not? Is it a caste system sort of like, is it like a weird, uh, you know, upstairs, downstairs thing where the, lo- the lower animals are pets and they don't have clothes and they're not taught English, but the ones that can like wear clothes, like these ones can wear clothes and talk. So that's weird. But then, so you have this world where that's a thing where people are like, yeah, mice to talk. Like when the mice parents show up, Everyone's fine with that. They're like, yeah, you go off my, here's your little car, mice. Like, go live on the golf course. But so then, like, so then is there a landlord? Like, are they paying rent? Do they have to follow the rules? Like, if a mouse kills somebody, do they go to mouse jail? Or are they just because they're animals? Is it different? And then the part that really threw me is, like, so you're in this world where everyone's like, yeah, talking mice, that's normal. He wears clothes. But you have to buy his clothes through a toy store off a doll. Wouldn't there be an industry that makes clothes for mice? Like, wouldn't that exist in this world that this 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 book or this movie has invented? Like, I did, like I did, like that's the the fantasy world doesn't quite go all the way. Yeah, this isn't <laughs> like um, it's it's flawed. It's a flawed. Uh, it's not world. like uh, like the world of the Muppets where uh, like Kermit the Frog isn't like a, a a puppet that can talk. He's a frog that can walk and talk. And Gonzo's this. Uh, you know, weird-looking guy who can walk and talk, and who wait like he wears clothes that, like, oh, you know, he wears a vest, and they interact in the real world. But uh, yeah, with the Muppets, it's not like, oh my God, like that bear can talk. It's like, <laughs> no, he's, yeah, yeah, he's just a bear. He can talk. Uh, so, it's for all animals. So this movie is like half that, and then half like they're like, but it's not. So it's a weird. It's like a weird midpoint of like it's a, they they know there's this thing. But the world is not built around this thing. It's just very strange. But enough. It's a G-rated kids movie. There's it's no a G-rated going too deep. But I was just, just to be a jerk, I just wanted to bring that up because it I is. just figured I noticed that it was like they only half, they only went halfway with this world that they created. I feel. It is. It is just weird that that <laughs> Stewart can talk. The only mice we see in the movie are Stewart and his alleged parents, and they can talk to people. Yeah. They can talk to cats. Cats can talk to each other, but cats cannot talk to people. And, I mean, like, if you're just trying to entertain a child, like, that's fine. It's like, whatever, dude, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I'm in my 30s now. I I, I can't let it, I just have to, I have to ponder on it. Not too long. I just can't Little because of these rules that they didn't set in stone. Um, But let's just forget about that. Let's just move past that part of it. Uh, it's all, I think it's also pretty amazing, and I didn't. I mean, I didn't know this movie 
I forgot this movie existed. I had no idea that Shyamalan wrote it the same year. I'm sure he was really sad that it came out the same year as The Sixth Sense because The Sixth Sense is finally like big hit. Here's your big break. Like this is your thing. And then, oh, and here's this like, you know, two and a half star like CG kids movie you also wrote. But they definitely didn't use his name to advertise the movie whatsoever. No, they didn't. Um, Not at all. Did they like try to be like, oh, the guy – did this get released before The Sixth Sense? No, The Sixth Sense was released on Shyamalan's birthday, August 6th, which he took as a sign that, you know, that movie was guided and it was, uh, you know, destined for, for greatness. Stuart Little was released uh, December 17th, 1999. Wow. Uh, so it had obviously been in production probably before The Sixth Sense. And uh, it was a big hit. Like, it grossed, like, $300 million worldwide. Stuart Little? Yeah. Really? Stuart Little. Oh. Stuart Little, do you know how much it cost to make? I'm guessing, I'm going to guess $45 million. This movie cost, there are two conflicting reports. One says this movie cost $135 <laughs> million dollars to make. The yeah. other, $105 million. Right. What, for what? I guess, like, well... There's no big scenes in the movie. Like, there's, like, this fake New York that exists. The CGI. Where there's, like, CGI, but it doesn't look I like guess. a... You Hugh know, Laurie just eats gold for... You know where they probably spend all this. their money is on the the uh, the soundtrack. Yes. Okay, because there are, like, uh, two Stuart Little themes. Yeah. Or, no, three. There's, uh... Let me see. You had a Brian Setzer song. Which there's a video of on the DVD. Did you watch the video? No. It's a, it's it's totally shameless. It's like Brian Setzer doing his like late '90s like swing revival thing, uh, and Stuart Little shows up like at the show, and it's like people swing dancing, and, and Brian Setzer playing his guitar, and Stuart Little's like on the dance floor, and it's like totally a video and song made for this movie. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that's the one. So I you had you had Walking Tall. Performed by Lyle Lovett, written by Burt Bacharach and Tim Rice. That's a big name. Then, um, then there was You're Where I Belong, performed by Trisha Yearwood, written by Diane Warren. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really ballady, strong song that plays over the credits. But the first song that plays over the credits is, of course, you guessed it. One plus one equals two by Lou Baker. <laughs> which, uh, my God, this movie—it's—it's it's storybook <laughs> world. It takes—it almost takes place like out of time, even though that the World Trade Center is still there. It's—it's it's a storybook world. Nothing really dates the movie Except until Lou Baker. And if you've never heard of one plus one is two. Sounds like the other Lubega. It sounds exactly. It's one plus one is two. A little bit of one plus one is two. You know, he had it's, his formula. It worked for a few months. Just like, what kind of lyrics are that? It's just addition. Well, because the Lubega hit uh, is about all the ladies he slept with. And so you can't have that in a kid's movie. So instead, it's like, one plus one is two. So it's like, it's not like me with all these ladies. It's like you and this one other person. Like a kid and a mouse, perhaps, maybe. You know, just two people hanging out. One plus one is... Yeah, I couldn't believe it, because it's like... It was it was, it was very Adam's... Uh, it was Whoop Adam's family, there it is. Like, yeah. it's very much like, oh, did you write this for the movie? Because it just sounds like your other song. It's exactly your other song, but with different <laughs> words. But it's still the same idea of, like, me and this other thing equals this other thing. And then... Or is this just like what your album is like? Is that like no one ever bought the album so no one knew like what the entire <laughs> Lubega 
catalog sounds like, but I'm guessing it's just... What's interesting is that this isn't the only uh, kids song that Lou Bega did that's the same song. On uh, one of the Disney DVDs, I don't remember what movie it is, like one of the older Disney movies, like uh, Sleeping Beauty. Let's just say Sleeping Beauty. Maybe that's what it was. On the extra feature that I'm sure this is made for the Disney Channel is a Lou Bega video of him being like, a little bit of Minnie Mouse, a little bit of Daisy Duck. And it's just like the same song, but about <laughs> the Disney characters and how they're his friends. So for some reason, his fame transitioned to stuff for kids. It makes sense because like the Lou Bega hit is like a jolly fun, like if kids can jump around to it if they don't know that a song's about doing it or whatever. But uh, <laughs> just, yeah, Lou Bega over, not, not deleted scenes of Stuart Little, but like just more footage of them like brushing their teeth. Yeah. And like going to bed and just like joking around like in the kitchen. Like he has uh, tiny mouse clothes, but he has to use it like a giant toothbrush still. Like I said, the world doesn't make, doesn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, I'm guessing that $100 million all went to Lou Bega. It probably went to that. <laughs> if maybe, I mean, no, probably not because because they are, uh, they're mostly character actors. But my God, this movie has an amazing cast. I know, yeah. If you didn't know, if you were just like read the people's names but didn't say that it was they were all cats or whatever, you'd be like, that's a star-studded... Uh, yeah, this movie, Michael movie. J. Fox, the star. Is this the last big Michael J. Fox movie? Um, Yeah. He or was, I guess part two would have been. Or part whatever, two. Um, this was after he retired, like quote-unquote retired, and then started doing a bunch of voiceover work. So he did this, he did Titan AE. No, t- not Titan AE. He did Atlantis. The uh, underwater Titan AE. Yes. <laughs> he did Atlantis, and then he just came back to acting. He was on some episodes of Rescue Me. He was in uh, Kirby Enthusiasm. Then he finally had his own show a few years ago. Uh, but so Michael J. Fox, Gina Davis, Hugh Laurie, uh, Jonathan Lipnicki, like the kid from the 90s. The, the kid who wasn't Haley Jew Osment. So Shemlin got to do, like, work with both of them. He got to work with both of them. And the extended little family consists of uh, uh, Hugh Laurie's brother, played by Jeffrey Jones. Who should not be allowed in the kids' movie, but they, he, didn't, they didn't know back then. They, yeah. <laughs> they should have let him in. It's, it's, it's a bit yeah, awkward. That wouldn't happen now. Oh, well. You live and learn. Let's, yeah, let's uh, prank her Jonathan Lipnicki and hope that things are fine. Yeah, Jeffrey Jones, <laughs> Brian Doyle Murray, um, oh, what's, uh, no, Sophia from Golden Girls. Estelle yeah, Getty. Estelle Getty. Whose uh, character's name was Estelle in this movie, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, it was Estelle. Yeah. yeah. I think so. It was either Estelle or it was Sophia. <laughs> like, it was a name. It's like yeah. Jackie Chan when he's in the movie. He's like, your name is Jackie or Tony Danza's name's Tony. It just makes it easier. Yeah. Uh, Dabney Coleman plays a doctor to see Stuart Little. John Polito plays the detective that, that the little family goes that. to. That was exciting. I would like to think that he's playing his same character from Homicide Mike Lewis. <laughs> that this is a kid, like just how well, Richard Belzer's character of Munch is in Law and Order and in The Wire and in the X Files. That I don't like if he was. Or this John, could be um, this John Belito's character from Homicide went on to help Stuart Little. It could be his character from The Big Lebowski, like rejoin the police force to, to become <laughs> like a, an official detective again. And let's pause for a moment. It's really weird how they go into grisly murder details for one moment of this movie. That, Remember that? That's an oddly that dark crazy? scene. <laughs> Like, but like, what? look at these photos he makes. What, what is it he making him look at? 
Uh, it's, uh, there's someone... It's like this book in the... Oh, it's the like Stuart station. was probably kidnapped and, and, and murdered. Probably kidnapped and murdered, like, and, like, it happens all the time. Like, here's grisly photos <laughs> of it. And, and then there's just Gina Davis and Hugh Laurie looking at, like, murdered children. Yeah, <laughs> like he shows them the photos and and we we just see them react but it's like what yeah and then you have the voices of yeah chas Pullman, terry yeah, steve zahn and nathan lane nathan lane um and bruno kirby and jennifer tilly yeah. uh yeah that's an amazing cast yeah it's uh yeah because it, i really thought Danny coleman was gonna be the villain because Danny coleman shows up and he's always the villain and i thought oh what's Danny coleman gonna do to uh Stuart Little, because like he was already the villain in Hot to Trot, the talking horse movie, so I thought that he'd be the villain in the talking mouse movie, but he just is like, oh, Stuart's, you know, and he's, and he's gone, and that's it. Like, this, that was it. Like, yeah. Maybe there was more to it uh, that he cut out, but I was really hoping for more uh, Oh, another, another face that you would recognize in this movie is, uh, you might not recognize her name, Kimmy Robertson. Mm-hmm. But Lucy from Twin Peaks has one scene in this movie, in as most breaks. people do. Yeah, and she's t- she's credited as Boat Man. <laughs> she doesn't play a boat fan, not like she, she's not the propeller of a fan <laughs> boat. <laughs> oh, and uh, Julia Sweeney is the yes, one who runs yeah. the uh, orphanage. orphanage. Yeah, playing a very classic kind of nerdy Julia Sweeney. Yeah, yeah weird glasses. Uh, uh, so yeah, the movie, the movie, there's not much going for this movie. I, I'm only watching it because Shyamalan wrote it. That's the only reason why you watched it. I'm never gonna watch it again. I'm not gonna watch part two because thankfully he did not write part two. I'm guessing he either rewrote, rewrote it after Greg Brooker wrote a draft, or just like he passed it around to this other guy and just like took a pass at making this uh, movie for a hundred billion dollars, I guess. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, the thing that, 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 but there are some themes that tie in with the other Shyamalan stuff, and I don't know if this is in the book or if it's something he added, but, um, one thing for sure is, like, the kid who doesn't fit in thing. Yeah. And that's uh, that's been the theme of every Shyamalan movie we've watched so far. They're about, about kids or, you know, young, young, young adults, (laughs) uh, like, searching for their place in the world. And them kind of going into a new family or a fragmented family and them trying to learn kind of how to how do you go about the day like how do you how do you live like being like this kind of like awkward different person uh which is what happened in pray with anger he's an american kid trying to get into his indian roots but he doesn't fit in wide awake is this kid who thinks like he's trying to figure out religion, and he lost his grandpa in the sixth sense, and the kid who sees dead people, this one, it's a mouse! But that, like, definitely that theme is there. Like, it's it's very, it's very much there. Uh, I'm sure that's in the book, too, but I mean, maybe that's also what attracted Shyamalan's project. We can only think, oh, it's probably money. But we can <laughs> pretend and think that it was like, oh, like, yeah, the, little, the mouse kid doesn't fit in. Okay, yeah. No, but it was because he got paid, you know, probably a if this movie was a hundred and five million dollar movie, he got a pretty good pay check for writing the script for it. Yeah, he had. Like that's at least a few hundred thousand dollars, at least, right? Yeah. Like no, this is this is this is post Showgirls. Like screenwriters can get paid a million dollars for a movie in nineteen ninety nine for sure. 
Uh, I'm sure he didn't get paid that much to be one of two people who did Stuart Little. He didn't, get, he didn't I, get Esther House. He didn't money. get that Esther House money, and we can only imagine what an Esther House Stuart Little would be. A much better film, I'm sure. Uh, it must be like women pulling knives. <laughs> uh, but I feel I feel like he must have gotten paid at least three hundred thousand dollars. I'm just guessing. I'm just, uh, I'm just spitballing here. But that theme, and then it has sort of the reverse theme of the other Shyamalan movies, where in this movie the magical world is accepted immediately by the characters, whereas the other Shyamalan movies it's more like the one character's living in the one world and it takes the whole movie for everyone to catch up yeah, a whole movie, to that person. You know? A whole movie for uh, the kid to realize that he like Or that the ghost of your dad is here or yeah, or the guy or the kid really is talking to dead people. Like it takes the duration of the film for the world to understand this weird person. Whereas this one is the opposite of like, oh talking mouse, cool, let's go home. You know, like it's the it's not the people learning that there's a mouse that talks and it's fine. Like that's not what this movie's about. Um the lesson of this movie is what? Um, I would say, oh wait, <laughs> they, they say it, don't they? That, uh, yeah, Stuart says, like, uh, like family isn't just who you look like. Yeah. Yeah, that seems to be the That's lesson. It, it, it ends up being that classic, uh, what we've seen so far, too, of the Shyamalan, like, let's all be tolerant of each other and be friends, like, just like how... At the end of Planet of Anger, he brings together the angry mob to be friends between the two. Uh, between the, the two Muslims and the Hindus. Yeah. In this one, it's like cats and mice and people can all get along. Yeah. Can all get along. Stuart Little, <laughs> it's, a, it's a classic stranger comes to town story. Like Stuart, and yeah, this is my film student brain overanalyzing the child's movie, I Apologize. But Stuart doesn't have a character arc. He's this character who changes other people. Mm-hmm. So he, he changes Jonathan Licknicky, and he changes the Littles, and they all realize that you don't have to look the same to be family. And he, uh, he changes the cat uh, who hates mice, and it's Nathan Lane's cat that really has the character arc. Mm-hmm. Much like how in Back to the Future, Marty McFly is not the character with the character arc, it's George McFly whose change is inspired by Marty. So I, I have to tie it in the Back to the Future, of course. Uh, also, the, Alan Silvestri did the music for this, and also Back to the Future. And the soundtrack is not as memorable. No. Because I love Alan Silvestri. And this one is just sort of like a, uh, it's a kid's movie, we're having fun, sort of heightened uh, music. Um, the fake New York reminded me very much of the New York of Baby's Day Out. <laughs> Like the way it's like, you know, big cities and it's like matte paintings, but it's like a cartoon, but it's a live cartoon, so we don't have to make it look real. So there's no point where they're like trying to make it look real. It really does have that live action storybook feel to it, which works, you know, only in a kid's movie or an R-rated Robert Rodriguez film. But it's the only time where you can have like a fake town around you and it's like you accept it. I, uh, Um, I went to college in New York. And so I, I know uh, New York geography below, uh, like, b- below, like, 84th Street. And the little, the, when Stuart gets taken by the, his fake parents, they say they live in Brooklyn, and they do, in the, uh, an abandoned mini golf course. They live in one of the castles. And then Stuart, uh, when he leaves, he, uh, he gets in his car and he drives back. 
uh, but then he has to go through. He has to go across Central Park at night, which is a very dangerous thing, even in a storybook world. Yeah. Yeah. Central Park officially closes at uh, at like midnight or one a.m. Like for everyone's safety, by the way. But <laughs> it should be much earlier than that. But if he's coming from Brooklyn, like he doesn't have to. And I'm gonna assume that Littles live on the Upper East Side. They they just seem like those kinds of people. Uh. He doesn't have to go through the park at all. He could take Broadway up and then just go up Fifth Avenue. Maybe it's um, because he's taking the little mouse car that is more safe than not being on real roads. So he wants to go through the park. I guess that would make sense. Anyway, that, that was something that I, I was trying to reckon out in my brain. I have a I have a map of New York up in my of Manhattan Island on my living room. I was trying to figure out, like, wait, well, he doesn't have to go through the park. Why is he going through the park? Uh... Also, is there room for miniature golf course in New York City? Like, could that possibly exist? Um, Does that exist? It seems like you that it's like real estate. There's no way. Because this is an out, in the movie. It's an outdoor. It's an outdoor. It's not like some indoor on the roof thing. Like it's an outdoor. There, there might be. Thing. There might be in Brooklyn. There might be one at Chelsea Piers. I I know they have batting cages at Chelsea Piers, which don't take up a lot of space. But uh, yeah. Another Shyamalan theme uh, that he likes to have in this movie, at least the movie so far about children, bullies. He hates bullies, and, and he loves to have bullies be like a, just there, even if they're not part of the plot. Like so, the, like in the boat race scene, you have these like awful, spoiled, usually rich, rich bullying more well-to-do kids being like, "I have to stay in the boat. I'm a dick," you know. <laughs> And just like in Sixth Sense, you had the kids who like were teasing uh, Haley Joe Osment, yeah, locking him in the thing. Didn't want to invite him to his birthday. Yeah. He's in a commercial, so you always have these like kind of snobby, uh, uh, well put together white kids who are like at least in the Sixth Sense in this, and then in uh, uh, Pray with Anger, it's just sort of like forty-eight year old boys <laughs> or whatever. But. Uh, the, the, he, he, I, I'm guessing this is something that Shyamalan dealt with in real life as bullies. Like if you're a little nerd who loves Steven Spielberg, I can imagine. Movies, I can't imagine it's easy. It wasn't for me, you know. It's it wasn't for people. me, and I wasn't. <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't even actually Indian. I only looked Indian because of how uh, incredibly Mexican my family is. <laughs> that everyone was like, every like people that weren't my friends at school, teachers. They wouldn't. They would ask me they, after a long pause. They would ask, "Where are you from?" <laughs> like, "I'm from here." Like, but would they know your name? They should have known my name. I had like I have a very Spanish name, but uh, and they're like, "No, but like, where are your grandparents from?" <laughs> and like, uh, Mexico, I guess. <laughs> But I, I can see how Shyamalan, as, as an Indian kid going to a, a prep school like the one in Wide Awake, which he did go to, being bullied by uh, rich, entitled kids. White kids yeah, yeah, white kids. So there's definitely a, like, I hate those kids sort of feel. <laughs> I, I would like to think that's what he had in Stuart Little. It's like, oh, I like this movie, but we need those shitty, like, rich white kids who's going to bully Little like Mickey. And like they're gonna cheat, they're gonna openly cheat, and like with glee, just like wreck the other kids' toys, and uh, and they're gonna do anything to win this uh, boat race. And then Stuart Little's gonna give them their uh, comeuppance, you know, by uh, 
winning the race by his actual skills as a mouse sailor, not with like some fancy stable remote control. boat scene is kind of odd because it's meant to be like fun and exciting and Stuart, he's he's uh, piloting this boat against uh, this evil boat. But like that kid with his remote control is wrecking the other boats and Stuart's like in actual danger, like proportionally. Like if th- that would just be a person on a on a regular sized boat, like he's in actual danger. <laughs> but yeah. it's uh, but it's all fun and whimsical still. So this is probably going to be one of our shorter ones, but we've been going for forty four minutes now. Shut. Uh, well, we we kind of <laughs> rambled at the beginning. <laughs> but uh, is there anything else to say about this movie? The only thing I have to add from my notes is uh, Stuart Little. D- I felt like with those songs, with all those songs from the classic songwriters and the performers, like they had to have been gunning for like an original song nominee nomination at the Oscars, which did not happen, but it did get one Oscar nomination for visual effects. Wait, was it nominated the same year as the sixth? Yes, yeah, so Shyamalan was involved with two Oscar nominated oh. films in the same year. So visual effects, I'm guessing lost to the Matrix? Uh, I would assume so. Oh, Phantom Menace? Those were the two. I did not I look up. I'm guessing it's The Matrix. I remember that year, Phantom Menace went over for everything. George Lucas and everyone assuming they'd win for Jar Jar Binks, but instead The Matrix won all their visual effects, and everyone was, it was an Oscar winner. So. Uh, yeah, I didn't uh, look I didn't look up who it lost to, but I, I can see that. Uh, I, I don't think American Beauty had a visual effects nomination, so... So uh, that that, that plastic bag was the most beautiful thing ever. Should that count as an, an amazing visual? Thing? They had a fan <laughs> to make it move. Uh, the one last thing about this movie, now that you've uh, enlightened me to its insane budget, then why couldn't they pay for real goddamn fish crackers? Because there's a part where he's in a box of fish crackers, and it's some generic you've never heard of <laughs> fish cracker brand. When we all know what the real fish cracker bag looks like, it's always, you know, had this look to it. But they couldn't really, they couldn't get the rights or pay to get, they could have done a tie-in. They could have done, like, a fish cracker tie-in. But it's like, it's not even Annie's fish cracker. It's just like some off, it's like made up for the movie, I'm guessing, fish cracker. I was like, come on, if you're going to pay $105 million for a movie, like, get the rights for the real fish crackers. Because I know nobody's going to buy the fake fish crackers. Like, no, no, no. Jonathan Lipnicki would have not settled for some like watered down, uh, you know, store brand fish cracker. You want the real deal. Oh, um, did you watch either of the two gag reels? <laughs> uh, no, I just fast forwarded to the making of being like, there was like an HBO making of oh. type thing, and I was like, oh, are they going to interview Shemelin? Of course they didn't, or he probably was like, I want nothing to do with it. I wrote this like years ago and forgot about it. Uh, so since he wasn't in any of the actual features, I didn't even bother to give it. Uh, there's two gag there. reels. One is a visual effects gag reel where they just like, uh, you know, they made snow, snow bells, uh, like eyes bug out for one scene. And the other was they gave, I have to assume that the way this went down was they gave Bruno Kirby joke dialogue. And so he was reading it, and Jennifer Tilly was saying something like, oh, he doesn't work, he doesn't use his hands anymore. He's like, using my hands? Like, that's not what you said last night. Like, yeah, like, how about some of that? And and his character, uh, like, grabs her ass. 
Wait, like the CG mouse? Yeah, mask? yeah, and they animated it like just for a joke, and then you can hear Bruno Kirby like pull pull away from the microphone and say like, "Hey, is uh, is that joke okay for kids? I mean, I'll say it if uh, I'll say it if you want, but." Uh, <laughs> But then they still put it on the kids' DVD, so kids can embarrass in, the, in a gag reel, yeah. And the other gag reel is your more classic people flubbing lines. Always the best um, lines. Flubbing lines, but the the best moment in that gag reel is there's footage of uh, uh, the actors without Stuart. So there's like a scene where Jonathan Lipnicki is going, he's uh, watching Stuart on a model train. So it's just a model train going by, and the director says, there's Stuart, and then he laughs, ah, and then long pause, and the train goes around again, the director says, there's Stuart, and he laughs, ah, again, <laughs> and it looks like, it looks like the, you're watching an insane child, because he's laughing at nothing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, little lip Mickey. Uh, what, like, with this... So he did this. He he was the kid from Jerry Maguire. That was his big break. Yes. Then this was about two years after that, and then there's the little vampire, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Is that what that was called? The little vampire. Yes, the little, little vampire. The little vampire. Like and then I think that's it. I think then he like hit that puberty, and Hollywood's like, we don't need you anymore, kid. Get out of here. And then uh, I don't think he acts anymore. What is his acting? I mean, Billy uh, Joe Osmond has come back recently. He came back. Again. He came back in the Entourage movie, yeah. uh, which was not good for anyone involved. <laughs> uh, then he he came back in uh, another movie that I can't remember the name of. There was, he, um, he played a sex ed teacher. Oh yeah, that was yeah. That and was, then he was, was in um, the Kevin Smith. Uh, oh, Yoga Hosers. Film. No, the one before that. The, oh, the wall, the wall. The wall Tusk. Was Tusk. Tusk, yes. He, yeah. he was in Tusk, and he was pretty good in Tusk. I remember him in the fake trailers for that one season of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia when he yeah. plays Mac. Was I think it was Joe Osmond. Hey, once you point it out, they kind of do look alike. Very similar in a weird way. Yeah, um, yeah I, I guess Jonathan Lipnicki showed up last month to the Jerry Maguire video store that happened in L.A., so... And he was the only person from Jerry Maguire to show up to the Jerry Maguire store. Everything was terrible put on this fake video store where they had 15,000 copies of Jerry Maguire. It was open for three weeks. And you can go in there and look at shelves and shelves of that movie. And Kevin Crowe wrote them like a nice letter. But they had no Tom Cruise, no, you know, no uh, Rennie Zellweger, no Cuba. Uh, but, no Jonathan, but, but Jonathan Lipnicki did show up. He actually went into it and walk, walked around. So good, good on him. For yeah. uh, since we last did this, uh, Shemlin's had a pretty big uh, few months. He, uh, the movie Split came out, which we won't talk about. We'll wait till you know, 11 months from now. We're, we'll so we're sticking the chronological order. Chronological. But it was the number one movie for like three, three straight weeks. Yeah. So it's like his first big hit uh, in a long time. Because like the visit, the visit did well, but it wasn't like this huge smash. Like it, it was a very inexpensive movie, and it did did well. And it was like he's back, but he's like truly back with Split because it's the number one movie in America for almost a month. That mean, uh, yeah, people saw it once. You can say once out of curiosity, but then they went back and saw it again. Yeah, and then they told their friends, and then yeah. everyone went and saw it again a third week. So I feel that means we'll keep doing this uh, podcast because he's probably gonna get. 
more money now again to make movies again. Yeah, he's. I mean, with the this and the visit, those were low budget horror movies, so it was like minimalist, back to basic stuff. And I bet now he can get a bigger budget. I wonder if uh, he will jump on that and will go like it'll all go wrong and we'll have another happening <laughs> again, or will it go right and we'll have another Unbreakable or Six Sense again? Hmm. It's uh, it's all up in the air right now, but uh, I. I'm always hoping to see good movies, so I'm going to hope he makes good movies. I hope everyone makes good movies. <laughs> I hope that Rob Zombie makes a good movie someday. That would be every, great. every human being should be allowed to make a movie. Yeah. Who wants to make a movie? <laughs> uh, okay, well, next month we're doing the next official directed, written by uh, small parts, uh, Shaman movie, Unbreakable. Yes. Which... Will be exciting because it's my favorite movie of his, but I haven't seen it since it came out. So who knows, you know, in time how I feel about this. So I'm excited to kind of revisit that one. I'm I'm very excited too. I've seen this movie many times. I love it. I own it. Uh, I I can't wait to watch it again, and I can't wait to talk about it uh, more or less one month from now. So. I think that's it. <laughs> We're done. Uh, thanks for listening. If you're out there listening to this, uh, sorry that the sound might be a little echoey or a little more quieter than uh, normal. Uh, but uh, yeah, Stuart yeah. Little. I don't recommend it. Don't, don't you don't need to watch it. But you know, if you have small children, <laughs> if you have small children, it, there are worse things you could watch. It's yeah. it's no uh, you know it's no like rock dog. It's about Wait, what's Rock Dog? It's this movie that I keep seeing ads for. It's about this uh, CGI sheepdog <laughs> uh, who, like, the family business is sheepdogging, but he just wants to be a rock star. <laughs> and <laughs> so he leaves for the big city to try and be a rock star. This is an American movie? This is an American movie. It's coming out in theaters who's, soon. Who's in it? I have no idea, but it's probably yeah. names. I don't know. I just... Uh, I saw some. I saw a movie recently, and that was a trailer. Oh, I saw Moana, and that was in front of Moana. Is it animated? Yeah, it's animated. Okay. It's animated, of course, right. of course. If this were the '90s, it would be live action. That's the thing. That's the one good thing about Stuart Little, is that it is a live action movie with a little cartoon mouse. And if this were made today, it would probably be all a cartoon. I'm guessing. Yeah. It seems like they tend to not do the. Uh, hybrid anymore well it's uh, kind of coming back with disney disney is now remaking all the animated movies yeah. as quote-unquote live action movies like uh the jungle book like uh, with the real boy but all the animals are cgi yeah and pete's dragon with uh real like sad people apparently <laughs> that, that movie's great because it's maudlin and it's done by the guy that made ain't them body saints <laughs> Uh, but the dragon is, of course, uh, totally real. No, he's he's fake. And now they're gonna make a quote-unquote live-action Jungle Book, but everyone's gonna be CGI. Uh, not not Jungle Book. I'm sorry, The Lion King. And Donald Glover is supposed to play Simba. Yeah, but... wait, how's that gonna work? Because there's no people in The Lion King, so is it no. just gonna be an animated movie again? Yeah, I think it's just gonna be another anim. But, but like, like the sky will be real. But they're gonna look. <laughs> they're gonna look like real animals and. Huh. You know, when you make a live-action Lion King, that's called Hamlet. Like, <laughs> I wonder if they'll go, like, it'd be, it would be cool if they did a live-action Lion King that was like Julie Kaymore, with the one that she did for... Broadway. For Broadway, yeah. And you do that music, and you do that, that look. 
And it's where this has nothing to do with the show that we're just talking about the Lion King. But uh, yeah, okay, we're I think we're done. Yes, uh, yeah. So uh, we uh, we hope we have not blown all the goodwill we've amassed with our Six Sense episode on this. But stick with us; it's, it will get better again, just just like Shyamalan. All right. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. Shyamalan twist.